we're back with a brand new episode of Club C47 after taking a week break. Sally Dar and I were uh, finishing up our finals and all that. So say hello. Hello, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm pretty good. I am so happy to be done with school. It was definitely my fault that we didn't have a podcast last week. Andrew was down and I just couldn't do it because I had way too much work to do. You know, classic me procrastinating until the very end. Um, But school is over now. So we're feeling good. That's the nice part about it is I'm sure once you turned in that script of yours, you had to feel a huge weight lift it off your shoulder. I did. And I went on a run. I put it on my Instagram story. I'm sure you saw, but I went on a run after, and I think I ran four miles and it was just, it hit different, you know, like it just really, you know, when you do something and like you already have adrenaline going into the run and then a run gives you even more adrenaline. It's crazy. I'm surprised you didn't just want to lay down on your bed and just relax running running is an interesting choice i respect it i respect it a lot yeah there's just one well i used to be a really big runner and i'm trying to get back into it but there's one thing that i've learned is if you ever have the like the motivation to run if you don't take it and grab it at that moment then it'll flee it's it's fleeting so if you ever think to yourself like hmm, i might go on a run then you need to get up and go right then and there it's a, that's an interesting mindset. And I, I now thinking about it, that was me today too. When I was just sitting around, I was, I was thinking, what should I do? And then I just decided to do some sit-ups for a while. I was just in yeah. the motivation. I was motivated to yeah. do some sit-ups and it happened. So I think quarantine has us thinking a lot of things and some things we should be doing, like working out. <laughs> Were you watching TV when you were doing the sit-ups? Yeah. So I've been, I've yes. been on it. That's what I need to start doing. I love that you do that. Yeah. It's just, I've been on an HBO binge. We've talked a little bit about that beforehand, but it's just, you turn on an HBO show. They're longer than most shows on Netflix or cable uh-huh. too. And so they're longer, which means it gives me an excuse to work out a little longer too. How so? Let's talk a little bit about grad school because we started this podcast back in good old September. Now we're done with our first year. How would you summarize your experience with grad school so far? So, I well, obviously, this semester threw us through a loop, but I mean, I love it. I love school, but one thing, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, is that I love school for the social aspect more than the work aspect, which I think I've been lying to myself my entire life, thinking that I really liked, which I do like learning. I don't want to say I don't like learning, but the social aspect to me is so important and is actually part of the reason why I enjoy TV and film is because you get to be on set with people and socialize, but you're also being creative and you're also getting work done. And so just being alone and having to do those things It's just like it's taken most of the joy out of it for me. But I mean, overall, I love grad school. It was the best choice for me. I'm super excited that I, well, now I don't live in LA, but it was, I'm on the right path. So I overall love grad school. Can't wait to get back on track with normal schooling. But yeah, we really hit a milestone. We started this in September. Look at us. (laughs) What was, how would you summarize your year? I think I could piggyback a lot out of what you said because I also enjoy school for the learning experience and being in a classroom environment where I have the power to be creative, to interact with other students, to get that one-on-one feedback and be able to have that drive. And going coming to grad school right out of undergrad, I 
felt that was a interesting choice for me because a lot of students who are in our program they take a year or two and go into the work field and then they decide to go to grad school and learn but for me i knew this is the path i wanted to take because i wanted to learn a little more and i wanted to be able to develop and create and inspire and be able to make movie magic and that was a very frustrating thing for me this past semester because i felt i was on that path and then all of a sudden we're hit with a worldwide pandemic and we're kind of in this weird void i would say and so once that happened i felt a little frustrated and i'm not sure how it's gonna impact me moving forward but i still plan on getting my master's and i feel and i don't regret that at all and i feel that everything leading up to the point of the pandemic i have been learning a lot i have been getting experiences i didn't get on my undergrad and hopefully once everything picks back up in the fall I'll be able to get back in that. But I am very glad with my decision of coming to grad school because I do feel that it allows you to learn and focus on things you want to improve on. One of my friends messaged me, and it's funny because I think a lot of people have existential deep thoughts during this time. And she asked me, why do people choose to do movies you know out of all of the different mediums out there why movies or why does someone want to be a painter why does someone want to to write a book and I hadn't really thought about why I because I mean I've been artistic my entire life like when I was little I wanted to be a painter that was like my you know what do you want to be when you grow up I want to be a painter and then in high school I thought I wanted to be a novelist so it's like I've gone through all of these different mediums and I was really thinking to myself like why did I pick this I know it's the right choice but why did this medium grab me like it did and it is the social aspect and so I came to this and it's been it hit this past month has been probably the hardest for me in quarantine with classes just because I've been realizing that that I am an extrovert I am a Leo like I need to be around people and that's the reason why I love movies and TV I have zero interest in writing alone zero interest in making things alone I have to be with people so I'm super excited to get back to it <laughs> basically yeah. I think I, I like how you mentioned this because when I think of why movies I think people geared towards movies or making movies because it's a form of escapism you are creating mm-hmm. a whole new world and now we are all trapped in reality and we want to get back to the escapism the other thing too I was thinking about is One reason I like, and this is, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but one reason I really like making films in school is because people have different roles on set, right? And so a role that I enjoy doing might not be a role someone else enjoys doing, but I like seeing people do things that they enjoy. So if someone is really into set design, it's it's fun to see someone thrive in an area that they love. And it's fun to have all those pieces be put together and like, do what you like but then also see other people thriving in different areas and like coming together to have this one vision that someone has I don't know and it's I really just miss seeing other people do good work and then me also doing work it's just I don't know I miss I miss seeing people happy doing what they love (laughs) well that's that's one thing I would recommend for anyone who's listening and is wondering what can I do during this time to like continue thriving and one thing i would recommend is share people the work you've done and ask to read what other people have done i think it's a good way to see other people's work give them feedback and then 
when they get back onto sets, they'll be able to create their film and maybe your input would help them. I think that's something, one way we can share creative love with each other, I believe. Yeah. I don't know what else we could do. Just just film with your, your camera or your C100 if you so happen to have one, I don't know. <laughs> I know, I'm trying to think about different ways to get creative beyond just um, TikToks and writing scripts. And I was actually thinking, I, I used to do a lot of digital collages, but I kind of want to do more like physical collages. You like cut out magazines and put it on yes. poster board. And that's what I think I might try to do in the next week, just to switch switch mediums, keep my brain active, you know? Yeah, I think like like switching back and forth between mediums is good too, because... Yeah. And then just finding something to keep yourself creatively motivated like I just created my my first reel and that was just a great way to improve myself in terms of my networking but also just do something that was fun yeah and also see like because I think in quarantine sometimes you can feel like you're lazy or you're not doing anything and it's like no you've done things up until this point like you can you'll do stuff after it and like you can do stuff during quarantine it's just a, a different space so I think that's nice to have like creative reassurance it's like okay I'm not lazy. Like, look at all these things that I've done. And you've got you've got to turn to what you have. You have to learn to adapt, which is the most frustrating thing for me. I hate adapting to this, and I still yeah. don't feel like I have. Yeah, yeah. One thing I've been trying to tell myself or other people is just do what sounds fun in the moment. So I guess it refers to more creative things. But if you... If you, for instance, I realized this when I was writing scripts that I had to turn in. I think sometimes script writing is very linear. Like you go from this scene and then they exit this place and then they go into the parking lot and then they get into the car and then they drive to this place and you write in order. And one thing I realized is that doesn't work for me. If I, I want to write the scene that sounds the most fun to me at the moment. So if the scene in the car at that moment sounds fun, then that's what I'm going to write. Because at a time when it's, you can be so easily creatively stumped like, why are you making yourself think in a certain way that, like, do what sounds fun. Like, things are already difficult as it is. So if writing a certain scene sounds fun or, like, filming something in a new way sounds fun or doing a collage instead of knitting sounds fun. Like, just do what sounds fun because fun is so limited. Yeah, and it gives you something to look, it gives you a drive. It gives yeah. you something to look forward to. Right. So that's one thing I've been telling myself. That was really me trying to finish my 90-page 90 sc- sc- 90 screenplay. I was going in order and then I was like I don't want to write this scene right now I want to jump to the end or I want to go back to the beginning and add this one scene that I want you know and I it worked so much better for me to reach that finish line yeah. so is one question I have is if you already have a piece of work that you've written or you've done something and then you all of a sudden don't like it anymore you just don't feel the motivated to keep going with it do you feel like would you, you scratch it? Would you rework it? Would you just write something new? Is that what you would like piggyback on trying to do something fun by writing something completely new? How would you do that as someone who writes scripts? Yeah, so I've actually been thinking about this a lot since I turned in the 90-page thing because so John, our mutual friend, he finished his screenplay like two weeks ago because he he's a heavy writer. He'll just turn out pages like none other. And so Patty asked him, oh, are you going to rework it before the final deadline? And he said that, no, I'm just going to leave it be and then I'll revisit it in a few weeks. So I started thinking, well, what am I going to do? I just turned mine in. Will I wait a few weeks? Will I look at it? Will I never look at it again? Should I change stuff now? Because I already know things that I want to change. And so... 
I would never scrap the idea, but I think writing this screenplay, because this is like the first full-on movie that I've written. I've written like shorter stuff. But I think, like I was saying, like I would write scripts that seemed more fun to me at the time. And I think that writing this first screenplay, I learned that it's more important for me to write scenes that feel closer to me as opposed to just going through the motions of, oh, this is the rising action. This is the climax this is the denouement that doesn't that my brain doesn't work that way so I think with this screenplay I I would take some of the same scenes but I would I I have this vision you do post-it notes on your wall I have this vision of me putting post-it notes on my wall and kind of laying out the scenes that I see very clear to me and then I will organize those in the right fashion like obviously I have a general idea like this is where it begins this is this is where it begins and this is where it ends but I think that revisiting that I'm just going to approach it in a new way because I just had so much difficulty like oh well I they have to get in the car and go to this place but like I don't know what happens in the car but I have to write it and I don't like thinking like that like I don't want to think that I have to write this scene it's like no I want to be excited to write this scene because this is what happens in it you know yeah this is this is what drives the character this is what gets them going and if you're not excited about writing the scene then why is the scene Right. And I was thinking, sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but when we started this class, like this feature writing class, um, and as as we should, we should work from an outline. I feel like that's just how a normal class would work is, you know, we're going to make an outline, then you're going to write this movie. And obviously you should have a general idea. But then I was watching all of these YouTube videos about just screenplay writers and TV writers and like what their approach to writing is. And I think I might've talked about this before, but Greta Gerwig said that she thinks there's no faster way to kill an idea than to make an outline. And I mean, I didn't know at this point really what my, how I would approach writing a full on movie. I I just didn't know what my approach would be, but after writing it, I really think that that kind of fits me more is not necessarily like it would write, making an outline would kill an idea, but I think it's very important to me if I, if I have an idea for a movie and I have like five scenes that I know need to be in it, it's better for me to write those five scenes and then inclu- and then figure out the outline. You know what I mean? Instead of doing the outline and like making a bullet point for those scenes. I need to write those scenes in full. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one good lesson I've learned. <laughs> that's good. That's yeah. Good. I think yeah. part I think one more thing. I think it's hard to be in a creative field sometimes because part of the battle is figuring out how you work the best creatively. Like that is how, like, you know, you're creative, you know, you have a vision, but then sometimes you just don't know the way that your mind works best to achieve that vision. And you think that after me, 23, 23 years on this earth, that I would know that, but I don't know that. Like it's ever changing because you're ever changing, like how you need to approach certain topics. So that's half the battle is figuring out what works best for you to reach that vision. How do you feel? Well, you haven't written, like, full-on scripts, though. But, like, for things that, like, would you ever reshoot something? Or no, you're just kind of done? I, I mean, most of the time I look at a project and I say, I'm satisfied with this project. I'm ready to move on to something bigger or better. Doesn't mean I would go back to a project and possibly use it as a proof of concept for another project that I would hope to work on in the future. Right. I don't think I feel like it's also so hard filming too because you have to get all the same people in the same place with the same not, well I mean not necessarily if I worked on a film five years ago that I want to revisit I would definitely revamp it in a way where I might have a different cast different crew kind of I don't want to like more of an anthology 
such as um, American Horror Story or Room 104, okay. something something along those lines, yeah. I would say. But, you know, I think it's it's once you finish a work, I believe you get to a point where you're very satisfied with it. And there's always something you're going to look back on and feel, I could have done this to make better. I could have done this. But then you just take those things and move it to your next project. And yeah. it doesn't need to be that same project. So I think creatively, it's just awesome to have like more ideas and keep on expanding and expanding those ideas. Just take what you've learned before and move on with it. And I think that's what film school, or at least that's what I try to get out of film school, which is why it's been really frustrating where I can't even make a film this semester yeah. when I was supposed to. But it, it's nice to just talk about this, especially in terms of where we're in an environment, we're in an industry where work expands and there's all ideas all over the place and it's nice to hear different perspectives of how people approach work and where yeah. they want to go or what they can do to help themselves and each other out to make um to craft uh better products of some sort mm-hmm. yeah i agree so we wanted to spend some time this episode doing a fun activity for you all and we're gonna call it i don't i don't know film school i don't know yeah. i don't know what we can call it but things that we would teach in film school or think would be taught in film school. Yeah. So Sally Dar and I are going to be film history professors, and we've. Well, you're going to be. I don't know if I can be. <laughs> for the for the sake of this episode, we are. So we thought we would share some films that we think would be important to teach in a film class here and there. We we have nine categories we'd say and and then we picked out movies we think we would talk about and so should we just get started cool let's do it okay so we first have the silent film era which is very early 1900s do you want do you want me to say i don't know how do you want to do this okay i wonder if we have the same one okay no you just go okay you go and then i'll say mine and then we can both explain ours well okay so i had two for this one but Okay, well, I'll just... Okay, so I had A Trip to the Moon, and then I had Great Train Robbery. Okay, I haven't seen either of those, but... And I haven't heard of the second one, but uh, Trip to the Moon is on my list. Okay. Because that's a short... That's shorter, right? Isn't it only, like, 30 minutes? Yeah, it's a a very, very short film. Yeah. And then um, it's George Melies. I can't really pronounce it, but I... I, I, It's just one of those classic, old-fashioned, beautiful films. That you watch. And then The Great Train Robbery, what I really, really like about The Great Train Robbery is it ends with the fourth wall being broken. And oh, really? So, yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's, it's, just a, it's an old film. I don't think it's long at all either. And it ends with this man, and he points a gun at the audience. And for <laughs> audiences back then, it's the idea of, like, is this real? Is this man actually pointing? Like, people got scared because they thought... They were he was pointing a gun at the audience. And so yeah. I just feel like this is a really good one to dissect into in terms of a silent film. Like yeah. what's real and what's not. Cool. Um, did you learn about both of those in undergrad or no? I actually did. I did learn about both of them in undergrad. I can't remember gotcha. too much about them, but I believe they were like short enough to be in the same screening block, which is why I put them in the same block. Okay. I included Nanak of the North. Did you watch that in undergrad? Okay, I know, I definitely know what you're talking about, but I don't remember it. Okay, so I, I wrote this down. I haven't, like, re- I haven't read about it since undergrad, so sorry if I'm wrong, but to my understanding, it's the first documentary, 
and that's part of the reason why we watched it. But I also remember learning the reason why I would teach it is because it's the first documentary, but also because um, after they filmed it, you can kind of documentaries are supposed to be factual, right? Like by definition, you're going into a space, you're interviewing people, you're gathering information. Like it should be the most objective form of filmmaking. But um, with Nanak of the North, after it was made, it's kind of like, how accurate was this? How much were they persuading the people? How true was this story? And so I think it's an interesting thing to teach because documentaries are supposed to be objective, but it's also sometimes nice to look at documentaries and see if they're swaying in a certain way. Yeah, they also make fun of it. Um, do you know the show? It's called Documentary Now. I know Bill Hader made it, but they do like parodies of popular mo- oh, really? documentaries throughout time. One of their episodes, they um, do a parody of Nanak of the North. So that's would you, funny too. Would you screen that to your students, the parody. Maybe I maybe I would screen Nanook of the North, and then the homework would be go watch documentary now. Okay. Yeah, depending on how long they are, I don't remember. Yeah. Okay, next sec- section. And so the next section is the golden era, correct? Correct. And so the golden era is a time where after the silent era, you had people talking, you had better production values, and technology felt more advanced. You starting to get comedies crime drama you're getting all these different genres of film and i think color came into a big plate too which was huge so the movie i picked was a little earlier than the golden era but it's the wizard of oz and a few reasons why uh 1939 was a huge year in filmmaking for anyone who didn't know so this was the same year gone with the wind came out and gone in the wind and the wizard of oz were two of the first few films that did advancements on color and I personally would pick Wizard of Oz over Gone with the Wind because A, it's more interesting than Gone with the Wind, in my opinion. Sorry, not sorry. Um, and then the idea of it's a musical and how a musical is able to adapt into a film environment. And it has Judy Garland, who is one of the main rising actresses of the time. One of those movies that it's one of the oldest movies that every generation like kids today still watch it that's what's so crazy okay so for this one i picked sunset boulevard okay have you haven't seen that right i don't think so okay so sunset boulevard i think i watched it in undergrad for a class um i love most i feel like most movies that you watch in undergrad you tend to not like them as much because they are more like oh here's the film history of this this was a movie that i was watching a screening and I loved it. Like I, I stand this movie. I think it's a good story for two reasons. One, because it kind of focuses on Hollywood. So the main character is a screenwriter. So obviously like relatable. Um, two, I think it's like kind of weirdly funny. Um, the main woman, she's a silent film actress who has kind of been past her heyday. Um, and I think it's kind of funny. I, I, I don't know. From what I remember, like, she's very over-the-top, very glamorous, but also very, um, she doesn't want to age. Like, she does all, she would just do, like, all the skincare possible. Like, there's some humor in there. Um, and I would teach it, one, because it's just a notable film. And it's fun to teach film students because, again, relatable. And also because, so she's a silent film star who has been past her heyday. So this is like a perfect example of how you're bridging the golden era with the silent film age, kind of connecting those two. So there are moments in this movie where she's watching herself as a silent film star. So there are moments in this movie where it, you're not watching a silent film, but you're watching 
a silent film inside of a not silent film. That's what I like. I like that a lot because I yeah, feel so like literally bridging the gap between those eras. And I think um, especially as professors, you sometimes need to find ways to bridge the gap by not necessarily showing a silent film, but maybe how someone adapts to a silent film during the time. This isn't really a spoiler alert because the movie begins with a death and the death is in a pool. There's a body floating in the pool. And if you guys know, I love Bojack Horseman and that also the theme song begins with Bojack floating in a pool. So I always, I like that connection and I like to think, well, I think they, Bojack did it because there's a famous painting and I'm forgetting, I think his name's Roger. I might be wrong on that. There's a famous painting of a guy floating in the pool, staring at himself, floating in the pool. But then I also like to think that the people that wrote Bojack may have also been inspired by Sunset Boulevard. So gotcha. there we go. That's my golden era movie. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. Very descriptive. Okay, next, German Expressionism. This one was harder for me. So for anyone who doesn't know, German Expressionism is more of a popular time during the silent era, mainly. And it has to do with the distortion of beautiful but also scary worlds, I would say. And sometimes they're futuristic. Sometimes they look horror. There's a lot of movies that come to mind when I think of it, like Nosferatu, Dr. Caligari, Metropolis. But the one I picked was Batman Returns, which is a Tim Burton movie. And the reason why I picked Batman Returns is because I know students usually get really bored easily with silent films, especially undergrads. That's just from my experience and what from I've heard. So I would want to pick something that isn't silent and something that they can compare old expressionism to something that's a little more recent, such as Tim Burton who takes yeah. a lot of inspiration from German Expressionism. So Batman Returns, a very obscure choice, I think, in terms of film history, but I would want to be a little creative with my choice. I like what you're saying. Like Sometimes it's hard to keep kids engaged, and those are Batman and Tim Burton. Those are two things that everyone knows, and so they're automatically going to be more interested. Exactly. That's good. So this one, I was like looking at all of the films, seeing what I had watched in undergrad, and I hadn't seen a lot of German Expressionism films. The only one that I remember seeing is Metropolis in class. Um, And I mean, I don't really have much to say about it beyond that. Like, this is the one that I watched. Um, So maybe I need to go back and watch some more German Expressionism to have a better answer for this. I'm not sure if I'm the biggest Metropolis fan. But it definitely has that idea of, like, the scary futuristic world, which I think you could easily showcase if you were to teach it in film school. Yeah. Moving on to the French New Wave. So this is our fourth category, I think. Yeah, fourth category. And so French New Wave, I don't know how to describe it, but it's a very time movement in the 50s that sort of kind of changed the way films are created maybe go against like a typical plot have some ambiguity have some flavor i would say and so one director that comes to mind for me is francis truffaut and so therefore i picked the 400 blows i don't know if you've seen it i have not and the 400 blows has to do with sort of it feels sort of like a coming of age story about this younger kid and how he gets into all this trouble and how he gets out of the trouble I would say is the best way to do it. I do like it because of its ambiguity in the end and the way it showcases like the streets. It's sort of, I feel Noah Bombeck took a lot of inspiration from it when he created Francis Ha, because you just have his character run around in the streets. 
piggybacking off of that. So I picked Cleo five from five to seven. Okay, that was my second choice. That was. Okay, yeah. well, so I've seen a little bit more French New Wave, but um, I watched Cleo five to seven at the beginning of quarantine just because I felt like, I, I don't know, a lot of people really, I feel like it's rare, these movies that people teach in class when someone genuinely likes it, like how I was talking about Sunset Boulevard, and Cleo from five to seven I feel like is one that a lot of people genuinely like. Um, same with Breathless, which I haven't watched yet. I know you don't like Breathless as much as Cleo from 5 to 7. Correct. Um, but so I watched that and going off the street movement, there's so, I, Noah Baumbach, I think when I watched Francis Ha, I was like reading some stuff about it too. Like he said that he takes inspiration from this. The way the cars move and people cross streets and you feel like everyone's going to get hit by a car and they just, wow, I could never live in a city. Um, or a big city like that a bustling city but yeah no I really liked Cleo from five to seven it I don't know I I kind of like how it just like follows her throughout the day like it's just kind of a moment in time I also wrote down I haven't seen this but my friend Helen who's not in film school at all um she's my friend from undergrad she oh Meg's friend our connection she actually texted me the other day telling me to watch Young Girls of Roquefort and she said that she thinks that I would, like, really like it. Um, I don't know why she chose to watch it. So that's one thing that I will be watching at some point in the near future. So I recommend that to people. Okay, next category, our tour theory. Our tour theory, yes. I This one was a little interesting because there are a lot of directors. And I, I kind of put in brackets, like, 50s to 70s. I don't know if you follow that. But yeah, I, did. I went with an Alfred Hitchcock film. And, nice. and I went with Rear Window, which is one of my favorite films of all time. But I think right. it establishes Hitchcock in terms of element of suspense versus element of surprise. And that's kind of like, which one is he trying to portray and why? And which is something I've kind of learned. I took a Hitchcock class in my undergrad. And so we dived into a little bit of that. And also I feel one thing I really like about Rear Window is it's deeper meaning and connections with relationships. As you have your main character only in one location. The whole film takes place in one location. And he's observing people who all have problems with relationships and romance. Which is a really interesting thing for me. As he definitely has that. But it it kind of like that part takes away from the bigger picture. Which is there's a murder going on. Mm -hmm. And I just really respect Alfred Hitchcock for that. So that's the auteur man I would uh, have the students dive into i learned about rear window in undergrad and this was the first time and sorry if you guys think this is embarrassing i don't think it's embarrassing this was the first time that i had have ever really understood the word voyeurism like i didn't really it just never really came across my desk until i learned about that movie um so every time i hear the word voyeurism i always think of that movie <laughs> isn't that funny yeah it makes sense yeah so for my auteur theory i picked so um, get ready. I picked Annie Hall by Woody Allen, which I know Woody Allen is in the news. But the reason why I picked this, okay, so I think it could bring up very two good talking points. One, I, before all of his scandal, I genuinely, I liked Annie Hall. Like there are several moments that like I, there's a one moment where they're talking about cooking lobsters, but they're not actually talking about cooking lobsters. They're talking about like how they feel about each other. And then there's another, he breaks the fourth wall a lot, kind of Ferris Bueller style. style. And then there's another moment where they're on this balcony and they're talking like 
very vague terms, but then there's subtitles about what they're actually saying to each other, which I think is funny. So that's one talking point, like just his style and auteur theory. But the other talking point, which I've been thinking about this a lot after watching R. Kelly's documentary, is like separating someone from their work that they've done. They've done, And I think in a school setting, this could be an interesting conversation about, you know, at what point can you just not support someone, but then you also enjoy like things that they have made. Um, and so something like R. Kelly, like mute R. Kelly. Yes, I don't think you should. I don't think you should stream his music, but you can openly say like, I like the song. I believe I can fly, but like, no, I'm not going to stream it on Spotify because I don't support him as a person. So I think it's just an interesting topic to talk about in school. And, you know, is it correct for us to, you know, rent this on Amazon? Is it like, I don't know. So I, I think it just could be, it could be a good round table. I mean, you, you would get a lot right and it would definitely I again going back to you want kids to participate in class I think that that's a discussion where kids would be awake you know they wouldn't be asleep during that screening you know yeah Yeah. I haven't watched any hall in a while and I'm sure some of the stuff is like very dated I've never seen it and the only reason why I would see it is because on my poster back there it's one of the ones I have to scratch off oh gotcha but yeah now you have to approach that idea like are you going to pay to watch that I don't know yeah Yeah, it's just an interesting thing. All right, let's move on to blockbusters. And so I I don't know if we'll have the same one on this one. I feel like we could. I feel like there's an obvious pick, and then there's a few obscure picks out there. But I went with Jaws. Nice. And the reason why I went with Jaws is because I've never seen Jaws. I'm just going to go out there and say that. So A, it would give me a reason to watch it. But B, Jaws was definitely the first summer blockbuster movie and i think people would want to watch jaws not only for its film history but its film aesthetic and and the idea of how you can get a really expensive fake shark on a set or how you can do a zoom dolly it would just let you look at a lot of technical things as well i watched just steven spielberg's documentary just about his life he made jaws i think when he was 25 So I think that's an interesting one to watch like with younger kids too, because it's like, look at what this guy did when he was 25. Also to see, like read the people were scared of that shark and to watch it as time goes on, it's less and less scary. So it's just funny. Same with like the guy pointing the gun, you know, for this one, I picked the dark Knight. (laughs) And this is kind of like, I guess this might be like a more personal reason, but so blockbuster, I mean, I don't know what the full on definition of a blockbuster is, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like the kind of thing that like everyone goes to see in theaters. Like it's what everyone's talking about. It's just on everyone's radar in my mind. That's what blockbuster means to me. So I picked this because The Dark Knight was one of the first movies that I went to go see in theater multiple times. I think my brother saw it four times. I think I saw it twice. My sister saw it three times. So it was very heavily talked about in my household. And to me, that's a blockbuster. And I I just think it's a great movie. And for me, it just resembles that genre. I think it's a great, I think it's a great choice. Blockbuster, it's films that are going to make a lot of money. It's films that set the tone for the summer. It probably would have been Black Widow. It would have been our blockbuster if it came out on time. And so... Great choice. I love that movie. Didn't even think of it. Didn't cross my mind. Good job. I respect Thank it. You. Wow. <laughs> and so moving to a different path, I did. Inter- we have an international category, which I mean. Did we pick the same one? We. Oh, I didn't pick Parasite. If that's what you're thinking. <laughs> you already knew my choice. Yeah, I didn't pick Parasite. So I, I didn't pick Parasite for any of these because I knew that 
people would have already seen it. Let's talk about other things. So I picked Amelie. I picked Amelie, the French film that came out in like 2002-ish. Mm-hmm. Again, for mainly its aesthetic, but I think it has a good story to go with it. And that's all I would argue with it is how... And then you can look at international films like Parasite. How have they changed over time? Do they change over time? Well, I picked Parasite. So I know everyone's seen it. But I mean, maybe if you're a professor in 20 years, some of those kids might have not seen it. And we are actually talking about it in my house the other day. Like, it's just, it's a, it has everything that a movie should have. And I know we've talked about it before, so we won't go into it. Yeah, it just kind of resembles the perfect movie. So let's screen it. For Disney and large studios, which is our second to last category, did you pick something more recent or did you pick something a little older? I'm curious. Um, I would say in between, um, more modern for sure, okay. but like not not super recent. So I went with a more interesting choice, and I went with Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Interesting. That's is that why is that what you were watching that the other day? No, I watched Rise of Skywalker, which we're yeah. not talking about on this podcast. <laughs> but I would pick The Force Awakens for the reason is this was an older studio and it, it was Star Wars started as Lucasfilms and then Disney bought it out. So how can Disney take a franchise already and be able to own it? And so and create this media conglomeracy. And so that would be why I would want to explore Star Wars. I love that. That's good. Kind of delving into the business. Yeah. That's good. Um, good choice. I personally am not a Star Wars fan, but we can squeak in a little bit of news. Taika Waititi is going to be a director. Oh my gosh, I know. I, I've never been a Star Wars fan, but suddenly I'm going to watch all of the movies just so I can understand. That's the only reason why I would say with this whole franchise is because yeah, of Taika Waititi. Okay, well, I want to know, do I have to watch all of the movies to understand? No, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a whole new thing. And it should be okay. a whole new thing because the trilogies need the to stop. Star Wars movie I've ever been excited to see. I just have never gravitated towards it, but I will see Taika Waititi's. So for this, I picked, and this is again a personal choice, I picked Toy Story 3, which is my favorite Toy Story. You're going to spoil the students who haven't seen Toy Story? Well, their homework would be to watch the first two. (laughs) Okay, but the reason why I would pick it, one, because I'm selfish and I like it. But I also think it could, again, you could delve into some of the, the business side of things, you know, just franchises, like how people, like, make... I feel like the cliche is, oh, the second movie or the third movie is not as good as the first. Like, the first is always the best. In Toy Story, the third is actually my favorite movie out of all of them. And so I think it's fun when, like, you know, movies further down the line are actually your favorite um, and how studios do that. I also think it's it's a fun one and, again, personal. Like, I watched Toy Story 1 when I was really young, but then I was still attached to it as an adult and how they kind of end the storyline with Andy and then pass it on to another kid. I just feel like you could just talk about how people are able to keep stories alive even as people get older. Like, I still cared about it. So, kind of fun. Awesome. Last one? Last one. So, new media. And I guess the question for you is what did you define as new media? I just classified it as just, like, anything that I have seen since I've not been a kid in my mind. I don't know. I I put more of, like, a stream, like, more streaming, more digitalized. Oh, I did not follow that. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) I think it depends on how you define as new media. And so I put Roma, which is the Alfonso Cuaron film that came out in 2018, because I believe Roma 
it was one of the more successful films that landed first on a streaming service. And so then it's the argument is to, can a good film be put on a streaming service and be just as successful as one that's in theaters? I like the idea that you thought of new media, new media as streaming. Um, that's a great interpretation that I just didn't even think about. Oh, but mine can kind of fit into it. So you're going to hate me, but this is what I picked. I picked Josie and the Pussycats. I knew it. <laughs> Did you really know it? I, I, I was feeling it. Okay, well, you know what's weird, actually? So this is, I've watched this since I was a kid, but I took a film class in undergrad. I forget the name of it. Um, it wasn't one of the core ones. It was an elective. My teacher showed this movie in that class, which I still, like, I honestly forgot about, but he taught it. Strange movies in film class. Yeah. So that doesn't... But so, and I know you haven't seen it, but I think it's actually very relevant to new media, even though it was before streaming, because it has, well, one, it has good music. I like the storyline, but it's also very, uh, they focus on a lot of advertising in the movie. So if... Like, someone's entire apartment will just be covered with Target logos. Or they'll go to the bathroom and it's McDonald's everything. Like, and so I think, especially as we, you know, enter this age of social media and influencers being advertised, advertising everything and being, you know, sponsored by everything. And this was made all before that. And so I just think it's interesting to look at, it's this movie, but then there's this underlying current of, oh, well, everything is sponsored. These characters are, like, are sponsoring all these things. But then also the movie is being sponsored by these brands as well. So it's like there's these layers to it. Um, and it also kind of talks about like mind control and like how you know the economy tells us what to buy or like ads will be like, oh, you need this face mask. Like you need this nail polish. So it just kind of talks about just how consumerism is evil and well we're actually about out of time so that's a great way to end the episode if you are a film professor you might as well put Josie and the Pussycats on your curriculum do it I'm like very proud of us these are very I would want to take our film class yeah I, I'm, I think we picked some really good options and I was glad to hear some of your reasonings I know I liked yours too thank you this is fun yeah wow it's been I feel we haven't talked in so I know, and we're about to, sad the episode comes to an end, but yeah. that doesn't mean you can't listen to any of our other episodes if you've had fun with us today. And if you want to follow us on any social media apps, uh, Sally Dars are at Sally Dar, at Sally Dar Griffin, Sally Dar Griffin yeah. Art, something along those lines. Yeah. You're in Andrew is A Van Houston 15 on yeah. everything. Yes. <laughs> wow, we know each other so well. Yay. All right. You guys have a good week and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.